This time on Geek Pod Blue. I am feeling a lot better. I mean, I'm still not tip-top shape, but I'd say uh, I'm probably a solid two on a scale of one to five young Han Solo movie scandals. Warning, station is now code blue. This edition of Geek Pod Blue. I'm your host, Hugh, and I am really glad to be your host, Hugh. Now, I'm going to talk about something close to my heart this week. It's something that you may not be aware of. Uh, a lot of people out there, when they go for their favorite drink, they stop at the bar, they grab something for the backyard, and they don't always think about what they're buying. They buy what they like, they, they buy what's good, but what you may not know is that there's a battle for the soul of the craft beer industry going on in this country. Now, you may not know what AB InBev is, uh, but they are more commonly known by the name Anheuser-Busch, and they own about 47% of the beer sales in this country. Now, AB InBev is kind of like the man, as uh, our previous guest host uh, may refer to them as. Uh, AB InBev is the largest beer producer and seller in this in this country and worldwide they are just enormous they make bud light budweiser and all of those brands um but you might not know a little bit of how they do business now when you think of a craft brewer you think of a local place some guy decides hey you know what i don't like what they're selling in the stores i want something better i want something different so they they get to work they create their own recipe they come up with something great and they build a following and, and people love it uh, a lot of times there's a lot of local fervor over craft brews and craft breweries. Now, is it a bad thing when somebody builds up a business and then wants to cash out? I mean, no, I don't want to say it's a bad thing. You're allowed to do with what you, your business what you want, but not everybody has you know a family ready to pick it up. Not everybody wants to get into the beer business for generations. So it's understandable that some of these places are going to be sold. But there's a lot more going on just underneath the surface of this. Now, AB InBev is currently under investigation for some uh, bad business practices. They're doing something that is not yet considered illegal, but it may be considered anti-competitive. Now, they have a program with their distributors. Okay, It's an incentive program. Um, all distributors are required to spend a certain amount of money each year um, advertising uh, Anheuser-Busch's beers. Now, if they uh, hit a certain percentage, uh, they do their advertising correctly, and they have a, a certain percentage of their um, sales are Anheuser-Busch products, then uh, Anheuser-Busch will uh, reimburse them up to 75% of that advertising budget. But here's the thing. They are required to, to make it equal. So let's say local brewery in a small town, got a distributor that gives beer out to the three counties, and they've got a local brew that does great. People love it. Well, if they promote that local brew or that independent craft beer, they are required under this deal to promote an AB InBev product equally. It has to be equal. And if they don't reach certain percentages of sales of Anheuser-Busch products, then the percentage that they get kicked back for their advertising goes down, which hurts them, of course. So what you have is a double-edged sword. 
if they don't do what Anheuser-Busch wants them to do, they don't get their money back for advertising. If they do do what Anheuser-Busch wants them to do, they lose money in craft beer sales because they can't promote them. And sometimes that will lead people to go elsewhere. I mean, not everybody is thinking about where their beer comes from when they pick it up. But we're more and more in a world where people do think about that. I'm certainly one of those people. And this is not, like I said, strictly illegal, but it is currently under investigation. Now, whether this current administration now actually cares about anti-competitive practices, I'm not sure. Uh, but if they, if they do find that this is, you know, an anti-competitive practice... Well, let's be honest, they'll probably just say, good job, AB and Bev, and close the case. Uh, but this spells trouble for small craft breweries. Now, it, it, you might think, hey, well, that, that's pretty bad. That, that's kind of crap. I mean, why can't they just compete on the taste of their beers? Well, there's more, okay? When you go to an airport and you see that line lineup of, uh, you know, t uh, taps there, and you think, oh, wow, well, they got Budweiser, they got Labatt's, but they got some craft brews. That, that, that's pretty cool, too. I'll get something good. What you may not realize is that every single one of those beers on tap is owned by the same company. What, you say? What? What is going on? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. Uh, AB InBev has also been purchasing craft breweries, and that's why I talked about, you know, people selling their, their breweries to AB InBev, uh, or selling out, as it were. Now, I don't think that you can necessarily get mad at people for doing that, but the end result, it's not just that it helps them because they make money. It also does something else. It help, it hurts other craft brewers, especially in their local area. Now, let me explain to you why that is. Let's say I'm a local bar, and I have my deal with AB InBev, you know, or I get my distributor, you know, they're, they're selling me the stuff I, I need. And there's a local brew that... Um, people like and is on tap. Well, another local brew sells itself to Anheuser-Busch. Anheuser-Busch now says, okay, this has to be pushed, you know, by our distributors. The distributor now goes to the bar and says, oh yeah, that, that local one that you, you, everybody likes so much, we, we don't have kegs of that. But here's something else. It's still a craft beer. People will still like it. Now, the bartender may not be aware of what's going on or the person running the bar, so they go ahead and do that. And that small local brewery not owned by a large corporation now gets pushed out of the scene. Um, this is bad for competition, but it's also bad for people who had nothing to do with those deals. Every time a craft brewery is bought by a large corporation, it makes the entire landscape worse for other craft breweries who are trying to remain independent. Now, far be it for me to say that you should not be allowed to sell your business. I mean, if you've built it, it's yours. You know, by all means, I don't want to say these people are doing something wrong, uh, but it's also disingenuous to pretend that that's all there is to it. That, oh, it's it's still going to be the same beer. It's, it's going to be just as good. We're still going to make it in the same place. You know, that's actually true. Uh, when these small companies are bought up by AB InBev, they generally actually don't water down the beer and they don't change the recipe. I mean, they, they actually don't want to mess with that. If they've got a hit on their hands, they've got something people like, they don't want to mess with it because they want to be able to put that on top, a tap at a local bar or in an airport and have people be excited that this awesome craft beer is now available here. Uh, it, it's all part of a game, and they definitely do not want to diminish the quality of the, the companies that they buy, so they generally don't. I was shocked to find out Breckenridge Brewery, who makes an amazing vanilla porter, it is now owned by AB InBev. That really bothered me. Uh, I certainly will not be purchasing any of their products again. And, and it's sad because we may be seeing many more of these breweries following suit. Who knows? Now, 
maybe you don't care about beer as much as I do. Maybe it doesn't matter to you where it comes from. Uh, try to keep in mind that this is about, you know, what America was founded for, the principles that America was created on, being able to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that means being able to make a living, making a quality product without having a corporation or a board of directors or anybody hanging over your head, being your own boss. And it's crazy that rather than compete with these craft breweries, once AB InBev saw that they were really gaining market share, they decided to just buy them up. They decided to start practices that made it more difficult for those breweries to start up and stay in business. Uh, I mean, it says a lot about a corporation, but we already know that it's a corporation. There really isn't a surprise there. Uh, I'm just sad to learn that many brands now and many brands more in the future are going to fall under a corporate umbrella. And the next time you go to the store and you go to pick up a beer, think about where it's from. Take your phone, Google search it, Find out if they're an independent brewer. You know, I did this with Saranac the other day just because I really like Saranac's new lemon tart. And I was like, man, you know, Saranac, you know, used to be hard to find and now it's everywhere. I wonder if they were bought by somebody. And I found out they're locally owned by, uh, I believe, Matt's Brewing out, out in Utica. Um, still a family-owned company. You know, still a great company to, to, to buy beer from because they're supporting our local economy. And... You know, just think about it. Before you pick up that new beer you've never tried, if you're not in a beer store that you know has a, a reputable selection uh, of beers, Google search it. Find out who owns them. It takes you two seconds. And you know what you might do? You might go, hey, well, you know what? I'm not going to buy that because they're owned by AB InBev. But, you know, here's this other thing over here. Sounds interesting. I wasn't going to try it, but maybe I'll give it a spin. And you know what? You might find out it's better. You might find your new favorite beer. That's how you discover little gems, by taking the path less traveled, by zigging when you thought you were going to zag. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing to be ashamed about that. And sometimes it leads to great discoveries. When people say, know where your food's from with this whole organic movement, movement I think you should know where your beer's from. It's food, it goes in my stomach, and, and I want to make sure I know where it's coming from. And maybe together, if we're all this vigilant, we can save the soul of craft beer one six-pack at a time. It's time to put some news in your head. And this just in, that beeping sound in the previous segment was brought to you by my boom mic being pushed up. It was in that weird position between mute and verbose and continued to beep incessantly while I was trying to talk. Now, I, unfortunately, I could not figure out what it was while I was recording. But afterwards, I'm like, ah, it's there, but it's not too bad. And I don't want to go through all that shit again. So I think we'll have to deal with it this time. Lesson learned, though. Uh, so let's go on to the news. Uh, A&E has announced August Second is the premiere date for their new show, The Low Files. Now, if you're wondering how I'm spelling low, yes, it is spelled L-O-W-E, as in Rob Lowe. Now, you may not know this, but he is an avid fan of the supernatural and ghosts and Bigfoot and aliens and all that kind of stuff. So he has a new show where him and his two sons go out and investigate these things. Now, this sounds kind of weird and it sounds like celebrity craziness, but apparently he says that everything in this 
is going to be uh, legitimate. There's not going to be any pranks, any weirdness. Uh, the whole point of the show is he is very interested in this kind of thing, so you know, he wants it to be legitimate. Uh, apparently, he claims he uh, thinks that he saw Bigfoot and was scared by it. He thought it was going to kill him. There's a bunch of news stories coming out about it today. Uh, it is very strange, though, because, I mean, Rob Lowe's a great actor, and he's been around for a very long time, had some very classic roles. Uh, I, I think it's... I, I, personally cannot figure out if I think this is a good mix or not, or a good match. I'm going to watch it. I mean, I've definitely seen him be weird, and this sounds like a weird show. He described it as a mix of um, Anthony Bourdain meets Scooby-Doo. I mean, that's that's a hell of an, uh, a, a comparison, but given that, you know, sometime later this year we're going to have Supernatural meet Scooby-Doo, I guess it's not all that far off point. Uh, next up, the creator of the Paddington Bear, Michael Bond has died at 91. Now, if you're not familiar with Paddington Bear, he is a bear named Paddington who has adventures and does stuff in kids' books. I mean, it was something I liked when I was a kid. As an adult, I have no idea if, if it even makes sense. Uh, the first book, uh, A Bear Called Paddington, was published in 1958, and the series went on to sell more than 30 million copies since then. Uh, the most recent book was just published in April. Uh, I don't know if we can assume that's the final book, considering his death. Uh, but certainly, you know, he will be missed. Um, even kids today love Paddington Bear, and it is a little bit sad. Uh, moving on to some Marvel news, and I'm going to actually pronounce this name right for the very first time ever. Kevin Feige has confirmed that there have been talks of bringing Captain Britain into the MCU. Now, if you're not familiar with Captain Britain, think Captain America, but from Britain. He has a Union Jack on his costume. His name is uh, Brian Braddock, I believe. And uh, he's been around for a long time, been a member of Excalibur. He's been an Avenger. And a very uh, popular you know, cult character. Think uh, how popular, like before Deadpool was everywhere, there were people that just loved Deadpool. I think like that, that kind of a popularity, but he has not blown up yet. Now, apparently, uh, Mr. Feige says that they have met plenty of actors come in and ask about this role. I guess a lot of the actors who are familiar with comics, they all want to play Captain Britain. Uh, certainly, uh, the, the character strikes an imposing figure. The costume is pretty awesome. And, you know, if we're going to lose some Avengers in the upcoming movies, it might be time to look across the pond and grab a few more members. Uh, now, this is not anything concrete. Don't take this and run off and say, Marvel's making a Captain Britain movie, because that definitely is not happening yet. All he confirmed was that they've had conversations about this. Actors have brought it up. It's something they're kicking around, but they're not sure if they want to do yet. Uh, next up, I probably should touch on the whole Han Solo controversy. Uh, a little bit at the beginning of the show, but uh, if you haven't been paying attention, uh, the producers, uh, the, the Lord Brothers, I believe they are, or, you know, I don't have their names because I didn't uh, write the notes for this down. I wasn't sure I was going to talk about it, uh, but they were a let go as directors of the Han Solo Solo movie. I love saying that, Han Solo Solo movie, because really, that's the only way you can say it. Uh, more young Han Solo Solo movie. Anyway, uh, they've been let go, and they're, it, Ron Howard is replacing them. That is official now. And, and there's a couple of reasons, and this is kind of a complicated story, so I, I'm going to uh, try to get into this. Um, originally, they had hired them because they wanted people who were 
not necessarily younger, but who had a different kind of style. They didn't want all the Star Wars movies to be the same. And then they've run into some issues here because they hired Gareth Edwards for Rogue One and then, you know, they had to do reshoots. Uh, they hired these guys for Han Solo and they find out there's a bunch of issues. Now, one side of the story looks like uh, Lawrence Kasdan, who's been uh, producing these movies since Empire Strikes Back, uh, came in and said, we don't like the fact that they're so loose and they're 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 not regimented and we want to replace them. But, but you take a little deeper into the story and there's a lot more going on. So what happens is these guys wouldn't even be set up for a camera shot until one in the afternoon. And of course, the entire crew has been there since six a.m. all ready to go. They're not ready to shoot anything until one p.m. They've only got three cameras up. When usually they want, you know, 20 or 30, and they only get three shots of, of the scene. Sometimes only one, when the editing people really want, like, 30. They want a lot of material to work with. Now, these guys, they're, they're kind of guerrilla filmmakers, and that's worked well for them in the past. They go in, they do it quick and dirty, and work with what, what they end up with. Uh, Disney doesn't want that. It's not that they want all the movies to be the same, but they want to have material to work with if they have to make adjustments or make changes. And uh, these guys were talked to about that, and they continued going about things uh, the, the same way. Now, a lot of the Internet's like, oh, you know, Disney, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, well, apparently the day when it was announced that Ron Howard was taking over, the cast and crew cheered audibly. Everybody was happy because they were tired of showing up and doing nothing for hours on end. Now, I'm not saying I'm taking either side in this, but I can certainly understand the studio dumping all this movie, a Disney money into this movie, and these guys are, you know, acting like this is the Blair Witch Project too. Uh, they're like, no, you know, we want this to be done professionally. Certainly, give it your your own spin, but you know, this is what we require from you. And it, when Disney comes to you and says, listen, guys, you're not giving us what we want. We want. 20 versions of every shot we want more cameras we want these things so that we have options when we go to edit the movie and they say okay and then go back to doing what they're they're doing anyway they kind of deserve to be fired i mean these are your bosses and i understand directors have vision and all that but if you want to have vision you don't go make a movie for disney i mean that's pretty obvious i'm sure they were excited when they got hired on but you know, you can't do that kind of thing. When, when the mouse says, we'd like it done this way, you do it so that you can continue working with the mouse and make truckloads full of cash. Uh, the other interesting bit coming out of that story is uh, apparently Disney is not happy with the performance they're getting out of Alden. Yes, I do not know how to pronounce his last name, and I'm not even going to try. Uh, to the point that they've hired a uh, acting coach. To come work with him. Now, this is kind of scary because it feels like Disney and Kazdan and all of them weren't really aware of how bad things were until really late in the game. And while certainly some of that could be on them for for not paying attention, uh, that's scary that the lead in your movie is not giving you the performance you want and the movie's almost done. Uh, I don't know how much they can actually fix that. I mean, certainly Ron Howard could come in and he's going to you know, do what the studio wants while directing the movie in a very solid way. He knows how to lead a crew. He knows how to get things done. Um, I don't know if you can fix that, though. I, I, I'm almost waiting to hear the other shoe drop and find out that they've recast Han Solo and they're just going to go back and reshoot everything properly. And you have to wonder, given how much these movies cost but also they make, can Disney afford to have a stinker Star Wars come out? Would it make sense for them to find somebody who can give the performance they're looking for? Uh, does the performance this uh, this gentleman give even matter now that the other director's off? There's a lot of unknowns and 
while it's sad that this is happening, it certainly is a great story, and I cannot wait to see what happens next. I mean, since when was Star Wars this dramatic before it actually showed up on the screen? Finally, we're going to talk about what will probably be the biggest holiday gift this year, the Super Nintendo uh, Entertainment System, or SNES Classic. Just like last year, Nintendo released the NES Classic and made far too few of them uh, for demand, they are going to be releasing a SNES Classic this year, which is a miniaturized version of the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. This time it comes with two controllers with longer cords, because they did listen to people complaining about the short cords on the original. Uh, the other thing is that they're saying that they're going to support production from September uh, 29th, I believe it is. Yes, September 29th, all the way through the end of 2017. Uh, seems like an awfully small window. Seems like Nintendo might be shooting themselves in the foot a little bit because, I mean, they're, they're coming right out and saying, they're, basically, there's only going to be so many of these. Even if we could sell 10 times as many of them, we're only going to sell this one batch. You know, or, or batches up until the end of 2017. It certainly seems like they could give it a little longer because it's hard to find things in the holiday rush. And I think it's sad that so many people that wanted the NES Classic couldn't get one, not for lack of trying. There are people who tr worked their asses off trying to find one of those, and they couldn't get it. Funny story about that. The day before they announced the NES Classic was being discontinued, I was at Walmart in East Syracuse, and I just happened to look. I was actually looking at the shelves on the bottom, trying to see if they had a PS Vita and see if the price had dropped on that, and I saw one little NES Classic tucked away in the back where you couldn't see it unless you bent down. I actually went back the next day to see if I could get it, but it was gone. So I was like, I can buy this and sell it for 300 bucks, or I can give it to Paul because he really wanted one. Uh, the interesting thing about this... Um, Super Nintendo Entertainment System Classic is the lineup of games. Now, there are less games than were in the NES Classic. There's only going to be 21 games. They're actually going to be vary by country. Uh, Europe and Japan are both getting slightly different lineups of games. Now, some of the games on there are classic. You've got Super Mario World. You've got F-Zero. You've got my personal favorite, Super Castlevania 4. I absolutely, to this day, even love that game, especially the music. Um, Super Metroid. I mean, there's some great stuff on here. Uh, there's some weird choices, though, too. Uh, now, obviously, uh, Zelda A Link to the Past is not a weird choice, but that, that's an RPG action RPG. But if you look at this lineup, out of those 21 games, five of them are RPGs. You've got Mother, you've got The Secret of Mana, you've got Final Fantasy III. It's very RPG-heavily uh, weighted, and I find that weird with all the games that came out for the Super Nintendo that... You would put, I mean, RPGs are great and some people love them, but if you're putting together a package that's going to appeal to a much broader audience to everybody, it seems like that's an awful lot of, of the same style of games. Now, you're still going to have your Street Fighter in there, but I have a question. Uh, you, you know, if you're going to put something together like this, what about Pilot Wings? That was a great launch game. I mean, there's a ton of other games that were huge on Super Nintendo uh, entertain, Entertainment System that don't seem to be coming near this. Uh, I guess I just find the lineup suspect. There's some good stuff in there, and there's some good RPGs, but I think people that aren't into RPGs are going to be looking at this and going, well, there's actually only 16 games in this I'll play. I don't know. Your mileage may vary. <laughs> And that sound means it's almost the end of the show, but we're also to my very favorite part of the show. It is now time for the Geek Pod Blue mailbox. Now, I did consider calling this the mailbag or the mail sack or something like that, but 
I don't know, those were just all soft, sophomoric and childish. And I thought, eh, mailboxes, you know, it's, it's, it's classic, you know. When, when you get everything through email and you hear the clang of the mailbox outside, you know, that, that, that resonates with some people, probably people much younger than me. Uh, so let's get right into this. Our first uh, questions come from our regular Nick Mormon, uh, also known as Webcam Nick. So he said, what's GeekPod next con? I think you need to put an S in there, buddy. Uh, the next con will probably be the Syracuse New York Comic Con, um, uh, unless something else is coming up of what a Teddy's cons are going on, but that's the next one that I know of off the top of my head. Are you excited for Black Panther? I know it's a while away, but it looks awesome. I am excited for Black Panther uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, there's always the, uh, the the fact that you know African Americans and uh, people of color are underrepresented in our comic book movies anyway, uh, so it's exciting to see something like that. I think Luke Cage showed that you can actually have a, a instead of a black television show written by white people uh, for white people, you can have a black television show for you know black people. It, it has certain cultural touchstones that I didn't understand while watching it, and that's okay, because it wasn't necessarily made for me. And while I think Black Panther needs to have a much wider fan base for it to be a, a financial success, I am hoping that 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 culture is shown appropriately. You know, we don't need... We've had enough white superheroes. Let's see what they can do with uh, the man from Wakanda. Are you a real doctor? Because I got this itch and it won't go away. I'm concerned. Nick, I am not a real doctor and I do not generally give out advice, but uh, if you want me to, uh, I would say first, if you have an itch and it won't go away, even after you scratch it, you could try cutting it off. That would probably fix the problem. What super suit do you think is more uncomfortable, the Iron Man suit or the Batman suit? <sighs> you know, well, I would think Tony Stark definitely would have uh, made comfort important because he is uh, well, kind of a douche and that would be something that he would spend millions on. Uh, man, I, I have to think that you think being in a suit of armor would be more uncomfortable. And we see that thing slide on him. It doesn't look like there's a lot of foam or padding or anything like that. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to go with the Iron Man suit, even though you think it would be more comfortable considering the kind of person he is. I mean, the Batman suit is just you know, what, Kevlar, you know, tights, you know, material. I mean, it doesn't look like it would necessarily be uncomfortable anywhere but maybe in the crotch. So, yeah, I'm going to say I think the Iron Man suit's more uncomfortable. And finally, he said, it's webcam Nick, not YouTube Nick. Ha, 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 ha. Yes, Nick, I actually do know that. That's why I keep calling you YouTube Nick. Next up, Al Sedano sent actually two emails in. One of them says forgot attachment, so I'm not sure if I need that. I'm going to open the first one first. And it says... Hey, Hugh, just listen to episodes two and three. See attached picture for why I'm so behind. And what you were saying in episode two about how properties that have toys in Walmart should not go as far that kids can't watch or read them. I don't think that's a bad idea at all. It does make me remember the other year when I spent six months in hell. I mean, working overnight, stocking at Walmart. They had Walking Dead toys. I'm not trying to trap you here or prove you wrong or anything. I'm just wondering, what do you think they should do? I'm going to assume you don't want them to limit Walking Dead show or comic to PG-13. Is that the, uh, is the problem that they are making the figures or that Walmart doesn't have anywhere else to put them besides the toy selection? Granted, they were in the same aisle as RC Cars and Planes, not in the action figure aisle, but it was still in the toy section. Anyway, keep it up. I'm enjoying going into the blue. Later, Al Sedano. Thank you, Al. I'm glad you're enjoying going into the blue with me. And, uh, Al, I'm going to tell you, uh, my answer is probably not what you're expecting. No, I don't think that Walking Dead toys should be sold at Walmart. Uh, 
when 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 I go to the toy aisle at Walmart, you think of things that kids are going to be playing with. They're going to be playing out movies and cartoons. Their fantasy. I mean, think of what we did with GI Joes. You know, when we were younger. Okay, um, no kid under the age of thirteen should be playing Walking Dead. And those figures aren't made for kids anyway. They're made for adults. I mean, there probably are adults out there that reenact scenes from the show with their figures. Uh, They probably also need to be medicated uh, because, you know, at least my Walking Dead figures are just on my shelf where I can look at them. So I definitely think that Walmart shouldn't be carrying stuff like that. Uh, Or if they're going to, I mean, they'd have to put it in a separate section. The toy aisle just isn't appropriate. Now, I, I... whether you agree with me or not, just imagine this. Now, my five-year-old actually is pretty cool about um, gross stuff and scary stuff, but my uh, now 13-year-old uh, still freaks out about things. But when she was younger, if she had been walking through the toy aisle in Walmart and she'd seen that, that would have freaked her out. She would have started crying right there in the store. Now, you know, Ella is kind of a a, a fragile thing, a bit of a snowflake, as they say. Uh, but it still stands, you know, there, there's no warning sign saying, hey, you know, kids of this age shouldn't walk down this aisle, they might get scared to death. So, I, yeah, I gotta say, I don't think Walmart should be uh, carrying toys like that. Now we're gonna look at this picture of, what did he send me? Oh, dead phone is a smashed iPhone. Actually, that looks like an iPhone 3. Uh, yeah, I can see why you might have been preoccupied uh, with other things, especially if that uh, is your main way of communication. Now, I'm sorry about that. Man, losing a phone is awful. Uh, but thank you very much for writing in. That was a great question. Next up, uh, Bill Horst Cotter wrote, Fan Theory. What's your favorite fan theory and why? Ugh. This is kind of like Laura's question last week. Oh, man. Now, you know, I'm not using the horse sound effect this week. I don't, just don't feel like doing any editing. Um, like her question last week about what's my uh, favorite uh, paranormal, or my, the paranormal spot I would like to visit over the summer. My favorite fan theory. Well, you know what? This probably isn't the true answer to the question, but I'm going to go with uh, what I read about this week, the theory that uh, from Toy Story that uh, Woody is, was actually Andy's dad's toy. But he was put away because Andy's dad got sick when he was very young. And, uh, you know, he ended up getting some kind of cancer. And he survived, but it ended up coming back. I forget exactly what it was. Uh, But Woody was put away at that point. When he gets brought out, when Andy gets those toys, Woody doesn't realize it's a different kid because they're both named Andy. Uh, I thought that was really sweet and kind of sad at the same time. And if you want that, there's more details on it, but go ahead. Go online and look it up. Uh, apparently, you know, it's it's one of the, the actors involved with Toy Story said this was the real story, and then, uh, I don't know, what the director came out and said, no, it's not. I, so regardless, it's still a cool theory, and uh, I kind of dig it because it, it answers some questions, and it, it does kind of, you know... You know, apparently there's some history with Toy Story where Woody had a TV show, but the Woody doll that Andy has isn't aware of it, and that's because he was a prototype that was produced right before the show went on the air. Some, I don't know, I didn't even know that much about Toy Story. There are some people out there that clearly that's uh, an obsession on par with, uh, like, Harry Potter for some people. But, yeah, I mean, as of right now, I'm going to go with that just because it's the only recent one that I can recall off the top of my head while I'm trying to record. But thank you, Bill. That's a great question. Uh, that's one of the ones I probably should have read ahead of time. I don't read any of these ahead of time. Uh, maybe in the future, if anybody sends me something that they feel I, I might need to read ahead of time, um, just put it in the uh, subject line. Say, read this immediately, something like that, just so you know I can be prepared. I would normally prefer not to be prepared for these questions because that's what makes it fun. Uh, but sometimes something like that, 
you know, where you have to even think about, you know, what fan theories are out there. Uh, we're going to go on to our last letter, and uh, Mr. Michael Blah, mysterious Michael Blah, has again written in with a new batch of questions. So he says, new batch of questions from your favorite listener. What did you think of the con this weekend? What con? If you lived in the Star Wars universe, what would you be? Oof. That is a good question. Knowing my luck, I'd probably be a Gungan. What would I want to be? Man, just a person on a planet. Um, moisture farming. You know, getting by. Something like that. Working in something where... You know, you worked hard and you had the food you needed and the, the water you needed and all that kind of stuff. You know, you know, credit card debt or school loans or anything that like that. Just good, hard, honest work in a good, hard, honest life. I think that uh, any of us would appreciate that. And it certainly seems like uh, unless you have uh, force powers or you're really awful with a blaster, there aren't really a whole lot of other job opportunities out there. What sci-fi alien race do you find attractive? That's a good question as well. Um, I'm going to go with Bajoran because I like the little things on the nose and I think the earrings are pretty cool. Are you going to join Paul's football team next season? Uh, you know, I, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, he told me how uncomfortable it was, you know, having somebody put their hand between his legs and get ready for the ball. And uh, I don't want to be that guy. You know, I, I'm too close to him already. I've shared a hotel room with him and that, that's that's plenty enough. Um Plus, I'm fairly certain that if I played football, either I would end up dying or I would end up killing somebody because you know, my fat ass, once it gets in motion, it doesn't stop. So either I'm going to hit somebody or hurt them or I'm going to run into a stationary object and hurt me. Next up, what comic universe would you live in? What comics universe? Are we talking all comic universes? If we're talking about the major ones... As much as I like Marvel, I'd probably go with DC. A um, little bit more fantastic, a little more wonder there. Uh, plus, I, we don't constantly have, you know, bad guys taking over the... Or good guys turning bad and taking over the entire planet. That seems to happen an awful lot in the Marvel Universe. Uh, if we're talking about universes outside that... Oh, let me think. What what have I read? What universes have I... Well, I mean, being in the Walking Dead universe, if as long as you're one of the survivors, would be interesting at least. Again, a uh, good, honest life uh, and a good, honest surviving the apocalypse. I don't even know what I'm going for there. Uh, Michael Blah doesn't usually send me actual questions, so this is kind of throwing me off a little bit. Uh, what TV show universe would... T okay, TV show universe would you want to live in? You would be a background character, not a main character. Oh, that's easy. That would absolutely be Star Trek. 100% Star Trek. Don't even have to think about it. Um... It just be, I think it's a fantastic universe, and you, you, there's opportunity for anybody. Anybody that wants to join Starfleet and put in the work can go out and, you know, go out among the stars. How awesome would that be? A lot of the other universes, I mean, think about TV shows like, you know, like Doctor Who or Supernatural or whatever. If you're a background character, you're actually just a normal person because it's like a handful of people doing amazing things. It's like the two or three main leads that get to do all the amazing stuff. Uh, in Star Trek, even the background people are doing pretty fucking awesome stuff, guys. They're meeting new alien races they're traveling to other planets they're using phasers and transporters and building ships and all sorts of crazy shit so even a, a background person has a pretty awesome life uh, who would win in a fight paul or that guy that owns the comic shop in clay oh paul paul definitely would win that fight 
Could Geekpod win a battle royal against those Gathering of Sabres people? Absolutely not. Nope, wouldn't happen. Not a chance. YouTube Dick, what's his deal anyway? Well, right from his word, his mouth uh, to my ears, he's just really lazy. And finally, in your opinion, what role does everyone in Geekpod fill? All right, I'm going to give some thought to this one. So, I think Paul is the... He kind of comes off as the badass, maybe jock type, but smarter than that. Uh, I'm the person that everybody can rely on to to have you know quick answers. I mean, they, that's why they call me the doctor as much as I hate that. I do have a lot of knowledge that is completely useless, except in these very specific situations. Uh, it's not like it gets me dates or gets me jobs or anything like that. Uh, I would say uh, Laura is kind of become the behind-the-scenes person uh, when there, there's things, especially when we're doing live events. We, we kind of say, this needs to happen, or we want to talk to this person, and she goes and makes that stuff happen. She's gone for 15 minutes, comes back, yeah, he's ready to sit down with you in 10 minutes. I mean, that, that's pretty awesome, and it certainly takes a lot of the pressure off us uh, trying to create content at the same time as get uh, bodies and seats to help create content. Um, Andrew is... <sighs> kind of like the creepy uncle or the uh, the cross-eyed cousin uh, you bring him in for a comedy relief he is actually really smart and is able to jump in on a conversation i mean some of the stuff that comes out of his mouth you know just some of it makes me cringe and some of it makes me go wow you know how can you know that much smart be in such a strange looking package uh who else is officially a part of geek pod i mean jack's not around anymore so you know, we can't joke about him being on Grinder. Uh, Corbs went and got skinny and doesn't need us anymore, so I don't think he has really has a role to fill. Um, and Lana, I just brought her in because she's my daughter, and I thought maybe she would do something. And, you know, so far she's uh, proven that she can't handle any modicum of responsibility, so I don't really think she has a role. If she has a role, she's not filling it currently. And uh, somehow I don't think that's going to change. I think that covers everybody, though. I, I hope that was specific enough for you, Michael. I'm not sure exactly what you were looking for. Uh, but that really would cover the roles that, you know, everybody in, in GeekPod plays, I think, at least in my opinion. Uh, now, that pretty much is going to, to cover the show for this week. Uh, make sure that you send in your questions. I keep uh, reaching out on Twitter. Uh, because, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, everyone's aware. We have plenty of questions for the mailbox at, at the end of the show. And feel free to send in anything else you might want to. It doesn't necessarily have to be questions for the mailbox. If there's something you want to talk about or bring up or have me respond to, go ahead. You know, anything you send in, I'm happy to read it on air and we'll talk about it. This, that's going to wrap things up for this week. Make sure you tune in next week when I'm going to reveal the contents of the very scandalous email I recently received from the email address Vladimir Putin's Cockholster at WhiteHouse.gov. Till then, tuck and roll, kids. GeekPod Blue is a GeekPod Network production. Executive producers Paul Showens and Hugh Allen. Concept created by Paul Showens and Hugh Allen. Intro is Opportunity by Jameis Breed. Closing is Bucket by Jameis Breed. Both licensed for use by Dennis Johnston. Want to help the show? Leave a five-star rating on iTunes. GeekPod can be reached at contribute at geekpod.com or send us a tweet at geekpod. That's G33KPOD. You can also find GeekPod on Facebook and Instagram. G33KPOD. That's G33KPOD.